Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date. Uh, look, I had a baby. This is I had a baby, and it's been a year, and now we're back. This is Matthew. And this is Judah. Um, next week, let's do a big old super mailbag. Ooh. Just based on all of the mail. You know we got a lot of mail in the last year, for sure. I'm not going to be disappointed at all. It's not, not going to be 90% from you. <laughs> Just random, and I'm not gonna have to remind you constantly what you have tweeted to us. It's gonna be and so ask hard. what you thought about some sports event that happened in the fall. It's gonna be really hard. I mean, honestly, this is gonna be a hard one too because um, this is Star Trek week, and uh, one of these episodes I watched in August, and one <laughs> of these episodes I watched in like February or something. So you know. <clears throat> could be a tough one remembering what my notes mean yep hey the way this project works because i've been listening to these and i describe this every time uh last week last star trek week uh, (laughs) again more than a year ago (laughs) we rated the episodes you know first place second place third place and we're going to talk about them in the other order today so we're going to start with last week's third place finisher voyager this week we watched Gravity. That was a little bit spicy. That might have been a little loud. Um, a young black Vulcan, there can be only one, argues with a teacher of some kind in a dark old cave about logic. But like, this is the first conversation either of them has ever had about it. Uh, the guy agrees to take on the uh, emotional teenager as his pupil. So I guess the big shock is that Tuvok used to be like, down with logic. I want to feel something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I say it's Tuvok? It's Tuvok. Credits. Uh, Lori Petty's crazy eyes can't be hidden. <laughs> no. She's... um. <laughs> Some kind of desert scavenger eating big CGI spiders on this barren world. Uh, And she sees a ship go down and gets to it in one second TV time and starts to scavenge it, but bumps into TP. They can't communicate, which is much more realistic than normal, but it makes TP wonder out loud about how the UT works. So that's, uh, that's a big problem. Uh, just, <laughs> she is this the one you watched like most last, recently? This is the one I watched most recently. Okay, so this might be fresh. It, it is fresh for me. Uh, just like when uh, Quark and Odo were on that uh, on that shuttle last week, and Quark was reading over Odo's shoulder, and I asked you, "Can he read 
the same language that Odo reads? How does the UT work, etc.? Yeah, yeah, you're not, but you're definitely and you got very dejected and said, "Why would you ask that?" Yeah, we're not supposed to talk about it, but like definitely they're not supposed to talk about it because uh, nothing reveals how little thought they've put into it than when a character wonders out loud how it works. Um, anyway, she steals his medical kit and rations and shit and gets out of dodge. She, too, is attacked by a couple of unknown aliens. Uh, Tuvok snores out of nowhere and beats the ass wicked slow, like bad TV fight choreography slow. He, uh... Did, did you ever watch um, Kung Fu, The Legend of Kane? No, I, I watched The Legend Continues every once in a while on, like, KICU or something. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever the TV show one was. Yeah. Did he beat people up Tai Chi style, or was that at full speed? I mean, I'll just tell you what I remember. I remember him standing in the middle of the street and doing some Tai Chi and a van exploded. So, it was pretty slow motion stuff. Um. Anyway, uh, he... Uh, Tupac, 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 this has been a year. Tupac pulls a Chaco and soothes her with his calm demeanor. Uh, her name is Nos. They're able to work that one out with like sign language and stuff. Uh, they go back with TP and try to get the shuttle to work. Uh, Tuvok decides he needs to see her face for TV reasons. Yep. TP quickly gives exposition about how they crashed and... Then more bad aliens show up, so they all bolt, presumably, to Nas's shelter. And when they get there, TP activates the doctor. So they've got a whole bunch of dudes now. Uh, he's better than the normal UT, I guess, because he can talk to her in her comically stilted language. Right. Yeah, this week his program includes a universal translator. I guess everybody gets real chill, like real fast. Soon, Nos and TP are hunting together, and she has learned English. <laughs> this is not the Universal Translator. She is speaking it badly with an accent. But and also unrealistically that, well. Yeah, kind of not that badly is the problem. Badly, but, but unrealistically. Like, Tuvok asks why she wants to know about his job and, like, how many BMs he does a day or whatever. <laughs> and she tells him, because it you. And it's like, well, <laughs> what that? That's a pretty, that's a pretty advanced sentiment for someone who's learning an alien language. Sure. Um. Anyway, she yeah, she knows so much English already, and she's like you said, real into Tuvok. She wants to know about him, what his favorite food and his birthday are, and all that. And TP is like, she's good to go, bro. I won't tell anybody you did it with Tank Girl. The getting is good. Anyway, Tuvok is married, but this is very important to TP. He tries to convince Tuvok again to nail her in the very next scene. He's already probably the least horny person on the ship, even including other Vulcans. And then on top of that, he's married. So. Well, he's definitely less horny than the other Vulcan we've seen, because that guy had a Ponfar. He did. He was only in a few episodes. Uh, but seriously, back-to-back -back scenes. TP tries to convince Tuvok to get after it. Uh, back to the flashback with young Tuvok and fake Christopher Lee. That's uh, definitely the vibes I was getting from the teacher. Um, Tuvok is hung up on some girl, but she doesn't love him back. And fake Chris Lee says, love is the most dangerous emotion of all, because love leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. 
Right. Uh, Voyager is searching for the missing shuttle, and they get sucked into this subspace sinkhole. They do a techno babble and break free, and now they know what happened to that shuttle. While planning a search, they're attacked by another ship. It turns out they were just trying to save Voyager from the anomaly. Uh, they're planning to seal the rift tomorrow since it's been eating ships for ages. So that's pretty bad timing. Uh, TP and uh, Tuvok are inside the anomaly. So there's your ticking clock. They have until tomorrow. Yeah, except tomorrow's like months for them. Yep. They get some probe telemetry back and whoops. Time is accelerated in the anomaly, and also forget about how the aliens are going to seal the anomaly. It's actually going to collapse on its own now. <laughs> right. This is really good writing. And the aliens don't see that and go, huh? Ah, well, I guess we're good then. Uh, yeah, we can go do something else now. <laughs> yep. Let's go to the dequad version of Risa. It's like how you know, when back to back scenes, TV was trying to get Tuvok to do it, like they forgot they wrote it in the other scene, and then in this, yeah, this one they. They forgot they'd already set up a ticking clock, so they set up a different one. Uh, Tuvok was injured off screen, and TP tells the doctor, it's been two months since they last activated him. Uh, anyway, Lori Petty nurses Tuvok back to health, because they are in love on the desert planet, time forgot. She tries to kiss him, and he refuses, and he tells her the big Vulcan lie about not experiencing emotions. And she gets mad, and the writer basically makes Tuvok say, you are merely an emotional woman you couldn't possibly understand. (laughs) Yeah. Then the aliens start sealing the anomaly ahead of schedule. Yeah. So this episode is all over the map in terms of stakes and timing. The guy says to her, well, we're ready now. And she doesn't say back to him, well, if you're in a hurry, you can just leave. It's going to close. It's going to close on its own in like in just 30 more minutes. But okay, so I watched this in August. It had been at least three months since I'd seen one of these, but I, this put me right back into it. I was fully in Star Trek mode again. <laughs> when first they were going to seal the thing tomorrow, and you're like, oh, okay, ticking clock. I got it. I wrote, that, I wrote that down. And then they're like, actually, it's about to close on its own. I was like, ah, oh, cool. Yeah, two ticking clocks. That's so Star Trek. And then the guys come back and they're going to seal it again. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Give me more of this. <laughs> Three ticking clocks. <laughs> it's like the writers are like, well, you know, actually, there's not very much tension because that half that day is going to be like, hella months for them and that kind of blunts it a little bit so what if we make them start a couple hours early <laughs> do you want to go back and rewrite the other thing where they said they were going to do it tomorrow nah I don't I don't have any interest in that <laughs> nah man do you know how do you know how rough that is on a 1996 computer <laughs> do you know how long it'll take to do a control F on that yeah I don't really understand how these things work I've saved each page in its own document so it's going to be really <laughs> hard to go back and find that yeah. Uh, TP berates Tuvok about being mean to Nos, and Tuvok tells TP about the time he had a crush and learned about being a Vulcan from fake Christopher Lee. But also, I'm convinced now it might really be Christopher Lee. <laughs> like I'm more swayed each time I see him that it might be the real Chris Lee. Uh, meanwhile, Voyager watches as the aliens begin to close the anomaly. Janeway finds a way to get a message to the distress beacon that Tuvok set up months ago, I guess. 
and she tells them uh, they're going to get beamed up soon. But then a massive alien assault on their little hideout begins. You know, because the script ain't got enough things. Um, they have to hold out for two days. Their time. Uh, a sudden huge time jump of two days happens. <laughs> and they're still fine. Except suddenly they're losing force fields. Again, because not enough things have happened. <laughs> So Nas goes out to sacrifice herself and save Tuvok and TP. But Tuvok goes out and saves her, and then they all get beamed up. <clears throat> they take Nas back to her homeworld. Tuvok goes to see Nas off. Now she's dressed in some shirts Neelix had in the back of his hamper, it looks like. It's... Uh, yeah, well, we could talk about it for probably 40 <laughs> minutes. It's un- She has two outfits in this whole episode, and they could not be more different. <laughs> Her English is now nearly perfect, but she'll never have any use for it ever again. Well, one presumes that the Universal Translator now works on Voyager, so she just can talk normally. uh, I think I thought I noticed that she was still a little stilted, but maybe that was just um, Lori Petty acting. Um, Tuvok, again, without permission, melds with her. So she knows about his powerful horniness for her. Yeah. She thanks him. Yep. Then she beams away. Tuvok meditates in his quarters and remembers when he graduated from Chrisley's school of caves and oil lamps. The real Chrisley taught him life lessons he'll never forget. The real life Chrisley. The end. Uh, yeah. Before you ask me what this was about, um, the actor who plays the Vulcan Master is named uh, Joseph Ruskin, and he yeah. played Galt in the Gamesters of Triskelion in TOS. <laughs> oh, man. Tumek in the House of Quark and looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. Okay. Deep Space Nine, which means oh, he's the guy he's the who old put Klingon. Warp on blast. <laughs> Pulls Warp he just goes, blasted hey, him. Hey, hey, man, come over here for a second. Hey, 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 you, 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 you gotta go. <laughs> you gotta. Your name is. Your name is not spoken. Your name is a curse on our world. Hey, so man, you don't know. Um, you, you gotta beat feet. You don't know about the. You don't know about the Klingon ladies. You don't know what they like done with their nipples, etc. <laughs> uh, he plays or played, I can't remember if we've seen this episode, a Cardassian informant in Improbable Cause. Improbable Cause. Yeah. We probably see that plays a one. Sona officer in Star Trek Insurrection. Okay. And a Sulaban doctor in uh, Broken Bow. So he's been in a f- ton of Trek. He the he just didn't do any TNGs, but that's about it. Who knew that they were able to get Chris Lee that many times? Yeah, it's wild, right? It's and it's crazy. weird that he kept doing it, even though he disliked it so much, he insisted he'd be credited <laughs> under the name Joseph Ruskin. <laughs> he needed an money. obvious fake name. He's a money grabber, but he's not like a Donald Sutherland type who'll just put his name on everything. He's a little bit ashamed. Right. Yeah, he still needs the money, but he is ashamed of it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, man. Sorry about that. What is this episode trying to say, or what nonsense take have you been able to come up with? Right, 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 right. My favorite part of this project. Mm. Um, We don't have notes from Ben on this particular episode, by the way. Yeah, he got two of three. Yeah, he did. So here's where I got. I guess the take is, if you know you can't handle something, don't do it. Okay. Okay. 
like ultimately, um, this is a show about a man who got some bad advice from an off the grid cave mentor <laughs> as a teenager and mm-hmm. just hasn't questioned it since. And also, it doesn't seem like anything about this episode changes his mind. So I don't know what the takeaway is. Like, he's like, ah, I'm not, I can't allow myself to love. And, and then, then he, he doesn't. doesn't yep. And then everything's fine. <laughs> That's right. So, in the I end, don't know, as man. you say, the lady even thanks him for it. So, you know, ordinarily, I think I would give more points if the take was very clearly like, use your intellect and not your feelings. And if you decide that something is bad for you, don't do it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who know that they are attracted to the wrong person. And and they just keep doing it anyway. And it's like, you know that you're not you know that you're not wired right for this or but you persist. Yeah. And so, you know, usually I'd give a lot of points for that, but it's that take is so constructed that I I can't do more than a three on it. Yeah, as you say, there's not a lot of growth or anything that happens to Tuvok, so it's very hard to say it was even meaningful in the episode. Yeah, what do you think it was about? Uh, love is the most dangerous emotion. A real 80s rock and roll record if I ever heard one. I mean, they say it a lot, <laughs> but they did not license Jay Giles' Love Stinks. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Did... A song that goes through my head, mm, I'd say once a month. I'll Ooh. just be walking around going, And she loves him, <laughs> and he loves somebody else. <laughs> you just can't win. Um... How about I eat cannibals? Because that goes through my head a lot. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> I'd rather have love stinks. Uh, the other day I had dead skunk. This is we should oh. save this for the mailbag. Hey, did I tell did I did I tell you to add that to the list? No. So that's just something that happened. Okay, because my mom that, that brought goes it on up. the list of dad songs. Mom brought it up, and then I was like, Oh, oh I gotta tell Judah okay. that's another one to add to the list. Yeah, no, so I was just walking around outside the other day, uh, spraying to try and keep ants away from the house because it got hot here. Hmm. And I was just like, it's dead. It's in the middle. (laughs) Dead skunk in the middle of the road. The pot USA of their time, clearly. I mean, I don't know who did that one, and I'm not going to go through the trouble to find out that it was, you know, it was also Hispanic Boys, just a different (laughs) album, so... We'll do that. We'll cut, we need to cover that in the mailbag we the should. day that the mystery was accidentally solved. Yeah, we had talked about it a few times on the podcast, so we should check in on right. it. Um, anyway, just a two for me. Um, who cares? I don't care about Ooh. that. You know, I forgot to say this, but I had uh, notated this one on my notes as three parentheses two question mark. Oh, so boy. you giving it a two knocks it down. Well, that's how it works on the show. Everyone get reacquainted with the rules. That's right. Flipping into execution. Yes, please. These writers once again fail to say anything helpful or meaningful about the human condition. Just that love makes you, like, insane. So you're better off suppressing it. Which Tuvok does the whole time without any consequence, and when he uses a meld to explain it in the end, the lady totally sees his point. So that's the end of that, I guess. Uh, Yeah, imagine the toxic writer's room in this one, where they probably had a a 45-minute argument about whether Tuvok should... Mm-hmm. Go after get it. Just get and it one dude TV was says. like, "He's married, dude," and everyone else is like, "It's he's in a different layer of subspace, man. It <laughs> doesn't. Right. It don't count." That's right. Using the Cisco defense for sure. Right. 
uh, so much discussion of the Universal Translator in the first few acts, and that's always a terrible mistake. I hate how guest actors have to speak alien languages, so they give them, like, weirdly stilted monosyllabic dialogue where they're, they're just like, Gong! Boog! And you're just like, this doesn't sound like a good language. This isn't one of the good it, ones. But also it uses all of the phonemes of English, this yes. fake language that they give to Lord. Like, they did not bring in no anyone. They didn't bring in the guy who invented Klingon to do, no. give us a couple of one-off no, lines man, there or ain't something. no Jalaj in there or nothing. Yeah, so it ends up just being like when Anakin Skywalker calls someone Slimo, and you're like, <laughs> I, I know, I don't, I know you don't speak Huddies. I understand that it's a fake language, but I can tell yeah, that tell. you don't speak it. Hey, little kid, you gotta hit the books because you're not getting it done. Uh, anyway, then she speaks English crazy fast. Um, the double, triple ticking clock, which is always great. I'm gonna seal it tomorrow. Chaco says it's gonna collapse too. Then, then the guy comes back and he's gonna. He's going to show up early to do it, so that's always good. Um, did anything... This is usually the test of how does it get more than a one. Did anything good happen in this episode? I can't think of anything, as I gave it a one. We're a little bit apart now. Cool. We're a little bit apart. Um, the idea of Tuvok's logic training is slightly interesting, but... It is also like the writers have no confidence that they can portray it because like he comes in and he's all uh, 14 mm -hmm. and he, he knows that God isn't real and he's very sarcastic about your sky daddy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then they kind of cut away. very mad. He's extremely well. He apparently has been thrown out of his house and sent to this guy's cave. And it's like, what? What makes uh little baby Tuvok think this guy isn't going to try to put a finger in his butt. <laughs> like this is the in your cave? This is where we do the whole thing? Well, you do notice that at no point does he turn his back on this dude. And that oh, is yeah, a yeah, good yeah. Well, that's a good strategy. This dude is uh tall and he's all chin and cheekbones and, and it's I'm like, pretty sure he learned know. how to actually sword fight for all of his non-Star Trek roles. Chris Lee we're talking about. <laughs> um but it's like they we have to believe that this guy turned him around and got him on the path of logic and everything, but they don't show anything no. of it. They don't show anything that would be convincing to us if we went in there and we're like, no, I mean, everybody in the whole universe has emotions and you, you, while you definitely have to learn how to deal with them, mm -hmm. the answer isn't pretend they aren't there. It's almost like they wrote the part where Tuvok told TP about a crush he had one time, and they put all those flashback scenes in just so that that part would have some more stuff to it. Because we don't, like you said, we don't see like the big breakthrough. We don't see him learn, oh, logic is, is super good for me. Yeah, we just I see them argue about that girl. Exactly. I skimmed Memory Alpha, and I didn't see anything like this episode came in 10 minutes under, and they had to write the whole uh, Tom Paris is in prison wraparound. <laughs> the terrible uh, one where uh, the scenes are different in the beginning and the end. Yeah, that that's extremely irritating. So, so that's kind of like, it's an interesting idea that they then don't commit to at all. And then... The solution of having him share his feelings with her via mind meld is a reasonable solution, and that's probably because it came from Tim Russ. Oh, no. He was like, can I just, just do a mind meld at the end so she <laughs> understands what's happening here? And they were like, 
Hey, fuck, we didn't think of that. That's a super good idea. That guy does mind melds. I forgot about we that. We don't have to write, like, any new lines or anything. You just touch her face. I think she has a contract that says we're allowed to touch her face <laughs> because of that earlier scene. That's right. So, she can't say no. Uh, I like that Voyager didn't get into a shooting war with Yost. Uh, that's the only thing I like about Yost and yes. his ship in this one. Um, but the thing I like most is that Lori Petty's character didn't have to die for plot reasons, which a hundred percent would have happened if it was TOS. Oh, she yeah. for sure would have been left behind on that planet to be crushed or died before they got to the beam out point or whatever. Um, like I, I was sure, yeah. I was sure that only the two of them and the doc were going to make it back to Voyager. Yeah, again, when she and goes out it, to sacrifice herself, it was extremely likely. I mean, it did end up that there were kind of three endings to the episode because of that, but who cares? Um, but yeah, that was about the only thing I like. I did give it as much as a four though, because I was pleasantly surprised by that. And I was vaguely interested in one part of the plot. Okay. Uh, what about the world building? Well, we get to see Vulcan boot camp slash reform school. He got sent there by Vulcan Dr. Phil, I guess. <laughs> uh, we have the interesting idea of a solar system embedded in a different layer of subspace. No one is excited about that idea. Oh, it seems very pedestrian to them somehow. And they don't think, huh, are there like, are there whole universes? When we're at Warp 9, are we in a different universe that's full of other stuff? Or Right. Man, they don't think about it. But, you know, it's in there. But that's it. There's a, no world building otherwise, really. We don't really learn anything new about Vulcan or... Sure. You know, we don't care about any of these people. I gave it only two. Yeah, you got the... um. The call at the call at Sean. That's uh, IDAC. And yeah, Wallace Sean. And you got um, like you said, the whole solar system stuck in subspace or gravity well. TP says both in one sentence, so I didn't. It's also a subspace sinkhole, and it's out of phase. It's a lot of things. <laughs> it's also it really is. It's whatever they need it to be this week. It's also monodirectional. It is I monodirectional. Kept, I kept writing it down as they kept adding new things to it throughout the episode. <laughs> Uh, Chris Lee's Cave State University. Um, I only had it as a one because I didn't know what to do with the the gravity well subspace sinkhole. Well, not great scores there, but maybe they did real good on characterization. Always a strong suit for Voyager. Um, Tuvok used to be cool, and now he's a tool. He doesn't. Right? He doesn't even wonder if her face covering might be cultural. Nope. Or anything. He just takes off her covering like it's his right. Even when she kind of recoils away on the first move, mm-hmm. he still feels like he does have every right to undress her. Yeah, like he might have just raped her or something for all he knows. You remember when Listen, Enterprise runs that... into those dudes and, and they eat bad in front of him and those dudes hate him for like three different episodes? Exactly what I was going to say. Get out of my notes. <laughs> well, by the way, hold on a second. Is that the best part of Enterprise? When they run into the people who don't want to eat, who think it's rude to eat in front of other people. But then there's continuity on that, and you see them a couple other times, and he's always apologizing to them. Is that the best mm. part of the entire show? No, the best part of Enterprise is probably that time they show two-thirds of T-Ball's butt, <laughs> but then they had to cut it for syndication because of the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Super Bowl nip slip. So you mean that anecdote? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't the time that the moon base took off from the moon and landed on Mars? 
I mean, that was pretty awesome. But what about the time Hoshi had to do a Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> there were a lot of good. Actually, there were a lot of great moments, it turns out. I'm yeah. convinced now after that short conversation. I mean, everyone knows that the best moment in Enterprise was in the first five or six episodes when Tucker went in a rowboat <laughs> and got pregnant. And then for and then more continuity, they would never let him go on away missions again. <laughs> uh, all right. He doesn't bone this lady for two months. At first he says it's because he's married, and later it's just because emotions are bad. Then yeah. he melds with her without permission. So... I mean, the writers are telling us she totally wanted it, but yes means yes. Uh, TP, horrible trash, as always. They've been on the planet for about two days, and he is desperate to see Tuvok fuck this lady. It yeah. seems pretty clear, too, that he's yelling at Tuvok that if the lady was into him, he would have fucked her in a hot minute. It's a really weird look for him, because ordinarily, the the play you expect is... He's jealous that she's not into him, and he's shitty to Tuvok about it. But it definitely does seem like he, in this one, he's trying to convince Tuvok to get at it, and then his next pitch is going to be, also, can I hide behind something and watch? <laughs> That's right. There's no porno here. I've tried to get porno on the Doctor's uh, hard light hollow emitter many times, and I just, I can't even get harp girls. No. I can't get shit. No, one of the times Harry tried to rebuild them, I think they took that out. Um, this is a whole freighter, a whole freighter, yeah, and he, there's no porno on it. He, on a freighter? No porno? <laughs> on the whole ship. I've looked everywhere. He uses the same argument that he uses on Tuvok earlier when he's like, you're going to be here for a long time. For all we know, we're going to be here the rest of our lives, so you might as well get after it. He uses the same argument. He's like, we're going to be here for a long time, maybe the rest of our <laughs> lives. I got to get something. Can I watch you fuck? Um, anyway, I hope that gets back to Bellana. That he was basically just yelling that if a lady was into him on this planet, he would have just gone to town. Um, there's some Little League stuff on Voyager where they're trying to get, trying to retrieve the shuttle people, but that doesn't, there's nothing happening there in terms of characterization. Um, so just a two for me, Tuvok uh, maybe raped a lady twice, and uh, TP was just begging Tuvok to, to have sex with this lady the entire time. Yeah. Also, the doctor was in it, but I don't know. He didn't do anything. No, and he was mildly irritated that they kept turning him off and not treating him like a person. But it also, he was seemed much more resigned to it this week than many other times. I think he's starting to get used to the real shitty way he's treated. Um, I think it wasn't Bride of Chaotica, but two episodes ago was Latent Image. Do you remember when he... He got real upset because he he killed a woman be because he liked Harry Kim more and he kept losing his mind. And Janeway was like, doesn't matter. He's a fucking replicator. Keep I'll wipe his memory a thousand times. That's right. She walks in there. She does it herself, man. She doesn't even get anyone else to do it. She, just straight, she loves it. She walks right into sickbay to wipe his memory. Yeah, well, it's starting to have a, an effect on him, I think. Uh, for me... There's some mischaracterization, or at least some odd characterization. This week, Tom Paris is give up and settle down, and Tuvok is never give up hope, and mm. that's purely for plot reasons. Exactly. It's like, that. that's that's uh, exactly wrong. Yeah, tu Tuvok would normally be like, it's logical to assume that we may be here for some time. You know, we should consider making our uh, our arrangements more permanent, or something like that. <clears throat> 
Uh, and like, like I mean, the only thing I wrote is also Schmollis is there. Yeah. Yeah. So same, same there. We learned some backstory for Tuvok, but as I think I gave away in the execution section, I don't think I love it. I don't love that he's just become dogmatic and just says exactly what the old man says. And in this, the hundred years since then, he hasn't <laughs> thought about it. It's true. He's hasn't old. moderated that at all with his experience. It's just this dude's as old he's as Pardek. This guy's Pardek old. He is. He is Pardek old, and. Frankly, less interesting a character than Pardak. <laughs> I think that's true. We've seen him a lot more, but he is yeah, pretty dull. Uh, and of course, uh, Tom Paris thinks if it happens in a different subspace layer, it doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, there's not a ton to love here. It's as much as a three. Okay. Actually, I need to take a look and see. Did I have any of these others marked? No. Okay. So your low scores are not dragging anything else down. Okay. <laughs> Do you want some, yeah, you want some quick hitters? Give me those hot quick ones. It's been so long and I need them. Um, I was really, like you, I was very hopeful they would fix the Universal Translator at some point because I, it was incredible how quickly Lori Petty screaming non-words was <laughs> irritating me. But they fixed it another way by just having her learn languages extremely good. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a hallmark of her language. I mean, her language of her species. Uh, she, she is wearing what it looks like a rejected seven of nine outfit in this one. And it is, it is ill-fitting and ill-conceived. Usually bra designers don't try to push boobs down into the outside. <laughs> but I guess maybe this alien fashion does. It's just not a good look. Yeah, the, in this world, the fashion is like you're in the Gravitron and those things. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to escape any way they can. <laughs> exactly. Um, has anybody ever said, I've seen the way you look at her and not been the bad guy? <laughs> I know Tom Paris doesn't hear himself when he talks anyway. Right. So, And his normal thing is to say something where you're like, that's the thing a bad guy says. Like, All you know, time. whenever he's trying to instruct Balana about how she should be more Klingon. Mm-hmm. Just as a for instance. But he tells... Tuvok, I've seen the way you look at her, and it's um, that's just a line that Apgar says. You can't, <laughs> right. you can't go Apgar style. <laughs> I'm not the fool you take me for. Uh, this dude, Joseph Ruskin, should have played Mace Windu. He could have used all the same lines. I realize Yoda says it. Sure, the hate leads to fear, fear leads to suffering. Uh, but you know they could have put that in. In yeah. someone else's mouth if they just made this guy a Jedi. Well, look, I, I don't think anyone was necessarily impressed by the line readings that uh, Sam Jackson was doing. So, Well, there's a, there's a reason I picked him to be replaced. Okay. <laughs> His actor's secret is that he's always angry, even though he's a Jedi. Sure. That sounds like something uh, he said on one of those behind-the-scenes videos. Katie said, Lori Petty is too good for Voyager. Hmm. But is she? I have a similar note. Uh, I thought if they're going to have someone just shouting English words, they should have got the old lady who played LOL. She did it so good. Yeah, she could have done that. She could have worn a mask and a 
uh, think all the time about the frantic way she said soft. She could have worn that Desert 7 outfit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she could have said, smell. And then do you think Lori Petty said, since I'm talking normally in this last scene, can I get out of the cat suit too? And uh, Rick Berman, whoever rolled his eyes and said, I guess. Said, yeah. And that's why they put her in the those cast off Neelix clothes. <laughs> I was say, he said, yeah, why don't you go see Ethan? Um, he's got some, uh, he's got some clothes that I think will be great. That'll fit you great. His name's Ethan Phillips, right? Yeah, his name is Ethan Phillips. I know it's been a while. (laughs) Yes, it really has. I gave best actor to Caveman. Okay. And, uh, worst actor to, uh, old Tommy P trying to convince Tuvok it's okay to get it wet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, as usual, I don't have many quick hitters when I also read the description, so I just had, subtlety has never been associated with Lori Petty's acting, and this performance is no different. Not subtle. I didn't see Tank Girl, but I've seen her in a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it, man. That was a bad one. Yeah, that was a little rough to watch. Um, second place last week was The Next Generation. This week we watched Unification 1. Oh. Hey, 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 hey. Where's the, where's the dirty, the dirty opening? Is it 2022? We don't get the bomb, bomb. We just go straight into the actual theme. Let me see if I can remember which one of these buttons does that. <laughs> it's been a year. Enterprise has been recalled to Starbase 234, where Fleet Admiral Brackett reveals to Picard that Ambassador Spock has A, been spotted on Romulus, Mm. B, is there without authorization, and C, is possibly defecting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they based it entirely on that uh, enhanced screenshot they show him, but that's at least the evidence she brings. In the screenshot, he wasn't, like throwing gang signs or anything no. that made it look like he was Jordan. I mean, he was just standing around in what looked like a not very nice place, like uh, like the rest of Romulus, as we will see it. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't holding a Confederate flag or anything. I don't know what the problem right. was, really. I mean, he did have a bowl cut like Ensign What's-His-Name, but then that was all, that's always been Spock's deal, except for... Uh, <clears throat> in the pilot. You know, when he was undergoing the Colonar discipline at the beginning of Star Trek One, and also when he regenerated. Yes, and also in the pilot, the first, the very first episode when he's just science officer or whatever, he's got a slightly is he a little shaggy in that one. Yeah, he's got a slightly different hairdo. Uh, Picard, who still remembers his mind meld with Sarek, is deeply worried about having to tell the man that his son may be a traitor. Yeah. And then, since we need a B plot, Picard also hands Riker a report about some Vulcan ship parts found in a quote downed Ferengi vessel. Get out of my notes, you piece of shit. <clears throat> Perrin, Sarek's wife, comes aboard and tells Picard that Spock wrapped up all his affairs carefully. He clearly knew he was going, and she's very hurt that Spock left without saying goodbye to his dying father. Yeah. Over on Planet B plot, Riker and Geordi are going over the debris in the cargo bay. Just fine, whatever. Sarek lays, as is his custom, on a twin size wrestling mat in the middle of an empty room. <laughs> Head a full foot higher than his feet, shaking and raging. It might have been the exact same prop bed that they had him in when he was in the guest quarters in the other episode. 
Um, but he perks up a little when Picard mentions Spock, and in a brief moment of clarity, reveals that Spock has a long working relationship with Romulan Senator Pardek. Oh, good. Uh, but his clarity about that doesn't. Guy. We just, that's that's interesting. That's wild that we just talked about him in the last mm-hmm. last rundown, huh? Yeah. Uh, his moment of clarity doesn't last very long, and Picard has to make his fingers into the shape and finish the words for him. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. It's honestly pretty bad. Yeah, Enterprise heads out to Kronos to ask for a cloaked ship, but Gowron has been busy rewriting the history of the Klingon Civil War, so he doesn't really want to talk to Picard, and Picard suggests contacting a member of the Council, Katal. Right. Uh, Data brings up a picture of Pardek from a Bolian trade conference, and sure enough, he's the guy in the picture with Spock. Hey, what's up with the Bolians? There's a question off the top of my head here. Aren't they Federation guys? Why are they got all these Romulans going to their conferences? I mean, they they picked a Bolian as a representative Academy cadet in Allegiance, so mm-hmm. it does seem like they would have to pick someone where Picard wouldn't go like, huh, a Bolian. I wonder if people are always talking about how the Bolians aren't really in the Federation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Data describes Pardek's political career and also tells Picard that he can be found in the Crocton segment on Wednesdays, <laughs> uh, chilling out with his cousins or whatever. He does say Wednesdays. Yeah, you know, they got that one too. It's the Universal That's Translator. They... It's a, it gave him all Roman stuff and <laughs> it gave him that, it gave him the days of the week as well. Yeah, they gave him Wednesdays, but they do not, there's no attempt to, uh, translate crocton segment and will never understand why it picked segment <laughs> no one uh, asks, anyway he goes there no one to, ever uh, asks why the universal translator does anything no one ever goes why segment what i would be fucking all the time like either trying to mouse over and see an explanation of why it did it <laughs> yeah. or have it explain it to me out loud i need an audio tool tip can you please explain what's happening yeah. why did you pick subhadar <laughs> yeah why did you pick a rank what does it mean? Does it mean that he's that he is from a subjugated people fighting in the army of their subjugators? Because that's what Subadar's. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Pardak hangs out with his cousins or whatever on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. A junior adjutant from the Klingon diplomatic delegation makes contact, and he's pretty snotty with Picard about a cloaked ship. Until Picard threatens to form a relationship with someone else in the Klingon Empire, and then things turn around pretty quick. Yeah, you know who that is. Same people every time. <laughs> uh, he was going to call, what, Worf's old nanny? Nah, man, he was going to call uh, Lursa and Vitor if he can find them. I don't know, they really zipped out of town the last time we saw him pretty quick, but... yeah. Uh, that wasn't that long ago. Crusher is preparing prosthetic appliances for Picard and Data when Riker asks uh, him to come down to the cargo bay, where Geordi reveals the parts are from a Vulcan navigational deflector taken from a decommissioned ship called the Tapau, which is supposed to be at the surplus depot on Quaylor 2. Fun. Yeah. This is what's going to have to happen after Picard leaves, which happens immediately because his ship arrives. He says, all right, go check out Quaylor 2. And oh god, uh, it's kept it's Durgo again. I think I know we thought he died, but he's back. Is that his name? <laughs> Durgo? No. Uh, the captain of the ship is Kavada. Oh, okay. Captain of the Klingon ship. He knows about the defection, uh, which Picard won't confirm, but they head out for Romulus anyway. Meanwhile, Enterprise rolls up on the surplus depot where Klim Dokachin actual name that they wrote down. <laughs> 
tries to big dog him. So Riker makes it Troy's job to butter him up. Yeah. He takes them to where the T'Pau is docked while telling Deanna Troy about some of his great finds. Because he's a little trash bandit. But when the ship isn't there, uh, and it had been stripped of its navigational deflector anyway, sent to a holding ship, the Tripoli, they go there, that ship's missing too. Oh, this guy's really having a bad day. Ah, uh, it's always, yeah. your bad days are, like, the worst ones are always in front of strangers, for sure. Yep. <laughs> oh, and it really frosts uh, Clem Dockachin's ass, too, <laughs> because he's been beaming shipments of material to the Tripoli daily. Yeah, never, like, you now he realizes it's on him, like, he can't, there's no one else to blame. He should have, like, checked to make sure it was really the Tripoli, but he didn't think to, but now he looks like a real fucking idiot. Oh, yeah. Just, like, wait an extra couple of minutes, check the logs, but he didn't. No. <sighs> Uh, so Riker suggests that they wait and see who collects the next one, which is due in two hours. So they power down and hope no one notices a fully intact Galaxy-class ship parked up next to a bunch of busted Mirandas and Constellations. Uh-huh. Uh, back on the Klingon ship, Data tries to give Picard the one berth in their quarters, and then just stands there like a hulking nightmare while Picard tries to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he gives up the attempt uh, just before they're called to the bridge and told that the Klingons have monitored a subspace message with the news that Sarek is dead. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Again, like you said, when he couldn't make the shape, that was... We knew we were headed that there. Was, that was like he might as well have coughed blood into a handkerchief. Exactly. Uh, a ship with no transporter... Uh, sorry, no transponder rolls up to Quaylor 2. Uh, it's heavily armed. It takes the position of the Tripoli and gets the transport from the depot. Enterprise powers up and tries to hail them. They fire on Enterprise. Geordi thinks it's a pretty good match for them. Uh, Worf returns fire. Uh, the ship explodes yeah. when when a fire reaches the powder magazine, I guess? Yeah, it's a real USS Hood. I mean, USS. HMS Hood situation. Not the USS Hood. I think that one's still cruising around with admirals on it. Uh, DeSoto, probably. Yeah. Picard and Data um, make themselves up as Romulans. Don't know why they ever took their makeup off. I guess Data's probably pretty good at putting it back on, huh? He probably put it right back on Picard. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about the change in the tenor of the mission now that Sarek's dead and he's going to have to tell Spock that, you know, once he figures out that Spock's not a defector. I don't know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you think he'd still be focused on the main part of the plan, which is... I Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Bring back Spock. Uh... Kavada has a big laugh at their dorky Romulan haircuts and sends them on down to the surface. Uh, meanwhile, Pardek goes into the proconsul's office to discuss the intelligence reports that Picard may be coming to Romulus. Mm -hmm. So we know they're looking for him. Picard and Data find the place where Spock and Pardek were pictured and head to a local cafe to watch the office they were visiting, eat a gross bisque under the watchful eye of security forces. Yeah, and they run into some real Skyrim NPCs in here, man. Jesus. Uh, Pardak arrives immediately, however, and they move to follow him when they are taken to a cavern by the security guards where Pardak greets them and then Spock steps out of the shadows to be continued. <laughs> this happens so much on this show. People step out of the shadows every episode. <laughs> I'm at all the Romulan ones so far. Also, you got Gaiden randomly popping out of shadows, too. <laughs> Just yeah. like, oh, that is true. She does love that. Yeah, I came in the, the side turbo lift. You didn't see me. Matt, what's this big boy about? Mm, this was a tough one to pin down. Um, it was like mostly a series of mysteries with some dialogue from Picard and Sarek about 
fathers and sons. But I'm not really sure what it could be saying other than, even after conflict, the bond between fathers and sons remains. Except we don't even get to tell Spock about his dead dad in this one. Because he just, right. like you said, steps out of the shadows. And as it's fading out, you don't hear Picard go, Your dad died! <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I could only really get themes. You know? Mm. I, I don't know what it was trying to... This is really a very much a part one of two. Um, story still to come situation. So I gave it a two for themes. Yeah, you know, Ben is on the same page. He says, mostly themes and not a true take. Uh, a father's love for his son is absolute. His joke take is some missions are worth wearing a wig for. Mm-hmm. Um, but he points out, first part of a two-parter. And uh, frankly, I'm, I have the same thing. Like, I think of all of the two-parters, this is the one where part one stands alone the worst. And I think that's probably because it wasn't a season-ending cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. This was a mid-season, and they probably had a good idea that they were going to air it back to back the first time or whatever. Yeah. Well, the whole point was just to get Spock in an episode, right? That's the whole deal. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, Hey, Star Trek six is coming out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Can we, we got to get, we got to slam Spock into something. Um, throughout the course of this whole episode, no one even understands what is happening, let alone why it's happening. So the only thing you can really take away is a kind of general message to reconcile with your loved ones while you have the chance. Oh, and soon you won't be able to say the words. <laughs> Right? And um, that's not much. I gave it a two just like you. Yeah. Well, again, part one's hard. Uh, High degree of difficulty. What about uh, execution? I mean, Ben's as high as a six on this one. Oh, jeez. He says, there's a nice tete-a-tete between Picard and Sarek. Uh, There's a fun interplay with the Klingons. This this big ship uh, that suddenly blows up. Yeah. The reveal of Spock, I guess, is the big... Exactly. The big, the big it, cave step out. You know, it would be a much better step out if they didn't show him in the teaser. I mean... Yeah, exactly. If they were like, ooh, we have the word, word that a Federation ambassador has betrayed the Starfleet and is on Romulus, and then he went there and, oh, it was Spock, but then you can't do all the Sarek stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I mean, I think we were... We, we liked all the Sarek stuff mm-hmm. in Sarek, but clearly they did, too. Yeah. Uh, you mean, my main problem with the production of this episode is the B plot is so obviously tied to the A plot, but it makes no in universe sense that enterprise gets this assignment. Sure. Someone brought all the pieces of a wrecked up Vulcan deflector to enterprise to analyze, not a star base or a forensics lab or Vulcan itself. Do you suppose they even beamed it aboard or do they just like flush it out of their fucking toilet chute and just peace out (laughs) unless they let enterprise pick it up? Yeah, I mean, it's only this. It was only here so Riker can take the ship off on his little puzzle hunt because the Enterprise needs something to do. And like, yeah, in part two, we'll find out that they are connected. But it's like at this point, this this is not a job for the flagship. Yeah. This little there was a a Vulcan deflector on a down Ferengi ship. Well, those guys will buy anything, and they're like weird traders. Yeah, seriously. And like, yeah, someone should look into it, but. This is the this is the mission we're doing right now in the middle of this very important defection. Counterpoint. Riker's in command. Yeah. I think they got yeah. they can only give him, you know, unimportant because tasks. Because they they fucking loved the way he handled that garbage barge, the radioactive garbage barge <laughs> the last time Picard had a mission. Is that one of the Riker seven to... times he just in the end he just decides to punch it or whatever? He's just like, "No, nah, yeah, you basically. know what? Just punch it." <laughs> 
yeah, we're all going to get real irradiated. Just punch it. <laughs> it's nice to get one more scene out of Sarek. Mark Leonard chews it up just like you want him to. Yes. I guess it must have been fun for everybody to see Spock again. But, yeah, this is not very complete. Uh, I'm a four, and I could see a three. I'm in agreement. It's a four. Um, a lot of setup, obviously. Various mysteries. A lot of planet hopping, which is actually pretty rare for Star Trek. It's kind of like... um. To me, it feels like the early version of the chase. Yeah, they're just like going from place to place. They visit the Klingons. They go to Quaalor too. They're leaving a. They're leaving some other planet in the teaser. They go to Romulus, but nothing's resolved. Well, but also without the extremely good scene with the Kerlinescos. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> that alone will make that a forty-point episode. I have to imagine that'll be our first eighty. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Anyway, we only get five seconds of Spock in the end, and certainly nobody learns any lessons other than maybe you think you got big secrets. But actually, you're five steps behind everybody, including the fucking Klingons? Yeah. Also, by the way, not just the Klingons. Not just Gowron knows about it, or someone in Klingon intelligence. Kavada knows about it. Uh Uh-huh. Steven Root knows about it. I wonder if Steven Root's some kind of Klingon super spy, and he's just posing as average captain. That's a good question. Uh, still, it's more average than bad. It's obviously hurt by the fact that none of it's resolved, so it's hard to... I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. Um, it's possible that out of all the two-parters, this opener accomplishes the least, but remains interesting because of all the, the intrigue to come. So, yeah, a four for me. Well, um, what about world building? Yeah, uh, let's see what Ben's got. Fleet Admiral Bracket... Uh, he says they aren't at war. Is it weird for there to be a fleet admiral? I don't think. In Starfleet, I think they just always have one. Also, we find out later they're just always at war with people. I mean, yeah, they're probably at war with five small races that have no chance. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, this is a thing that I've thought about all the time, right? Like, there must be more starships than there are ships in the United States Navy, just because there's so much more mission out sure. there. Yeah. And so you, they probably would need more levels of hierarchy. Right. It's weird that they haven't renamed it. That that's not some you know that there aren't a couple of other flag ranks in between the captain of a ship and like and Ad- just admiral, admiral of the cosmos or something. I I mean yeah again it, then you get into a kind of a grand moth problem but <laughs> but it's like logically there probably should be billets for higher ranks just because there probably have to be more ships and commands. Right. Uh, he also, like you, um, thought it was weird the Enterprise was self-tasking to look at the junkyard. Uh, he says a Vulcan can straight pass for a Romulan. I don't know if that's true. It seems like Spock's hiding, so I don't know if that's true. Um, for me, uh, let's see, you got terraforming on Doraf 1, like Bean Dad, has been canceled. <laughs> um, I assume he said that in the log. That it's been canceled? I haven't seen this episode in a long time now. Uh, uh, Spock and Sarek disagreed about the Cardassian War in another season five attempt to shoehorn the Cardis into everything. Yep. Uh, Dentarium or Dentarium is a Vulcan alloy. Gowron's been rewriting history to erase Federation involvement in his rise, which mm, that's going to be a tough one because they were all over it. Yep. They're like at every step of the way. Uh, Romulans live hell along. Pardek's been in the Senate for nine decades. The Crocton segment is Pardek's district. Data's ears are not removable. 
So they got to call in Mop when it's time to do alien dress-up time. Uh, the Tapau was an old Vulcan ship. It now rests at Quailar 2, which Quailar 2, which is a nasty old surplus facility. Uh, the Klingons have intelligence, I guess. They already know all about Spock. Yeah. Um, who are those aliens in that combat vessel at Quailor 2? I'm glad we don't find out. It's way cooler that we don't know who those people are. They might be Romulans, but they might just be people the Romulans have hired. Um, Klingons sleep on hard-ass beds without blankets, because of course they do. Right. They slam on, they slam their fists down on it and growl. I mean, at least when they're trying to impress Captain Picard, they claim that they do. <laughs> That's right, but it's another one of those great Klingon pranks. Why are the aft shields down to 40%? The front of the ship's getting hit, I can see it. The forward shields are at 68%. I was very confused by this scene. <laughs> uh, the person at the con panicked and backed up into something, maybe. <laughs> That's right, they're slowly pushing another ship backwards. It's gonna uh, mess up Klim Dokachin's whole parking lot. Well, his whole organization's a uh, fucking farce anyway, it turns out. Um, paranoia is rampant among the populace on Romulus, I guess owing to Romulan state action against the citizenry, it's implied. Uh, Spock has indeed been hanging with Pardek, but we haven't been told why yet. I gave it a three. Uh, I'm just a little bit higher, I guess. Um, Spock is on Romulus. He and Sarek disagreed publicly about the Cardassian War. Gowron's rewriting history. Uh, some business with the Romulan Senate and the paranoia in the capital. Zach Dorn runs surplus depots. Mm -hmm. There's still such a thing as a standalone Vulcan ship. Uh, just like there's such a thing as a standalone Bolian trade agreement. So, sure. you know, how, what is the Federation as usual? Mm-hmm. Uh, I went as high as a five. Okay. Now, usually we get almost no world building and we give it three points, so. <laughs> That's true, actually. This week there was something. In terms of characterization, Ben uh, handed out another six here. Ooh. I think he's missed this project. Uh, yeah, I don't know when he watched them. I'm guessing sooner. Uh, more recent, yeah. I mean, than we have. Yeah, Gowron's being a political jackass as usual. Uh, Sarek's dying, Spock's missing. P Picard is the only one who got through to Sarek and his delusion. It's conceivable that Spock could be a defector. Uh, Data actually does some research, etc. So, he says Troy gets herself an actual mission, but I don't think that's... No. That's not a positive character point for Th me. Throwing them all over... Uh, Klim? No, that's nothing. Yeah, it's a little nasty. Yeah. He didn't touch her face or anything or take off her uh, head wrap or anything like that, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. Uh, Picard and Riker both have daddy issues, so they understand Spock and Sarek, even if Data doesn't. Sure. Uh, Riker really doesn't take well to having to make an appointment. He's uh, pretty high-handed about the whole thing. Yeah, as usual, whenever they run into anybody who's not cool like Starfleet, they cannot handle it even a little bit. Yep. And nobody else really has character moments this week, except for uh, Perrin and Sarek, and they're pretty much in line with their last appearance. I gave it as many as four. Okay. Let's see. Picard is all bent out of shape about Spock, cause, probably because it was meld with Sarek. Uh, Picard also met Spock once, they have to tell us. Wasn't enough that he had melded with his dad. 
Uh, Picard's in need of some info badly, but he's not super patient with crazy old Sarek. The way he shouts, who is Pardak? Made me worry we were headed for, like, Jack Bauer territory. Uh, Sarek did die, but weirdly it was of a little fracture at the back of his neck. Uh, <laughs> do you guys, do the Vulcans have shaken baby syndrome? It's very strange. The video just cuts out for, like, ten minutes. Because I got CCTV in there, but it won't work. Um... Picard is happy to call in a favor from Gowron. Then he threatens through Baijik to work with, I assume, the Duras family. Fuck, maybe Kern. Maybe he's going to work with Kern. Yeah, maybe. He has opposed him in the past. He has opposed him in the past, and also, he may still command the loyalty of three squadrons. <laughs> that was so confusing in that episode, trying to figure out how Kern had been able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean he's awesome. He's Tony Todd, so I guess it makes sense, but... Yeah, people were just like, that dude kicks ass. I would like, definitely support him in a civil war. And I know I'm squadron commander and everything, and, and uh, you guys look to me for leadership, but I'm uh, I'm just, I'm throwing in my lot with, uh, with this guy Kern of family uh, whatever. Um, Picard tries to tell Sarek's wife about Spock, and she's like, he didn't even say goodbye before he left. He also said he'd come by and get his crap out of the garage, but of course he never did. <laughs> This lady, no she's got her own beef with Spock, it seems like. Sarek is hella dying from Namco Bandai Syndrome. <laughs> like you said, he's so far gone, he can't do the Vulcan hand thing or say the very famous Vulcan sayings. <sighs> like I said earlier, he and Spock publicly disagreed about the Cardi War. I wonder which one of them was for it. I mean, doesn't was, it seem like it would be Spock? Who was like... We gotta fucking kill those cardies. Spock was constantly telling Kirk to blow people up. Mm-hmm. Also, he said that Sarek of Vulcan was a committed pacifist. Although, don't get it twisted. He, he, would, he would do a murder. He, I'm not gonna say he has. I'm not allowed to say it. But, like, just watch your back. Also, if you get... If if we if earlier later we're walking by and you're in the middle of a fight with an Andorian, I'm not even gonna question it. I don't need to, I don't need to know how it started or anything. <laughs> Um, Sarek admits his love for his son and asks Picard to tell Spock when he sees him. Anyway, Sarek beefs it a while later. Uh, Troy's face sinks when she completely understands that Riker is asking her to slut it up a bit for this Dr. Gene <laughs> guy. But turnabout's fair play. We all remember the laser room. <laughs> she sent Riker to seduce that grieving lady. When she, she sure sent Riker... I guess she technically sure implicitly, him. but it was very close to explicitly to go down and bang bang it out of that lady. Yeah, because he'd get more out of her than uh-huh. she would. She was very clear about that. Riker correctly predicts they can hide the flagship of the Federation amongst these <laughs> old wrecks and nobody will notice, which is baffling. It's a real whoopsie from these aliens. They were, what were they like? They go in there and they're like, must be the Yamato or something. Yeah, that ship rolled up and was like, huh. They're already scrapping those, huh? Weird. Well, they must be too big to be useful. <laughs> uh, Riker also tries to be smart and keep the combat vessel alive to get info, but Worf fucking spills soup all over the tactical console and accidentally blows these fuckers straight to Grethel, so... I mean, at least goes. Worf didn't, with tears in his eyes, tell him the panel has been reconfigured and he doesn't know how to fire the weapons. <laughs> well, good, because I would have got a stomach ache. I hate that. A, it makes, my, makes me sweat. Um... Data just stares at Picard while he sleeps, the same way he stared ahead with serial killer silence after breaking up with Jenna DeSora. 
<laughs> in the dark? Yep. Just sitting there petting his cat. Um, nothing particularly good or bad. I actually graded it out as a five. I could see it. Oh boy, quick uh, ones. Um, yes, please. Ben says, nice little tribute to Gene at the beginning of this one. So, of course, it's a Spock episode. And he's willing to bet the hairpiece on Picard was a little nod to Gene as well. Did Gene famously wear a nasty little hairpiece? No, uh, I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. Gene wanted Picard to have a hairpiece. Oh, that's right. I remember from that ambush book. And then someone talked him out of it. And then Picard said, would there still be baldness in the future? And Gene or somebody said, in the future, they won't care. Ah, there you go. Yeah. About being bald. Something like that. Uh, all right, quick hitters. Uh, th- uh, this admiral makes so many bitch faces when she's describing Spock's possible defection. Yeah, she is not happy about it. Picard hands Riker a pad. I told you to get out of my notes, and says, "Oh, by the way, it looks like the B plot <laughs> turned up in the intelligence suite. Please go and take care of the B plot. I promise it'll actually connect with the A plot this time." Yep. Uh, who wrote this episode? I bet they hated their dad. Uh. Another fire crazy guy performance by old Mark Leonard. Yeah. He's crushing it in this one. I mean, this is a... Well, his first appearance was as the Romulan commander, right? Yeah, the one who and loves he, Kirk so much. His powerful love And he for just Kirk. made big... Just did big Shakespeare soliloquies and reduced dudes two grades in rank. <laughs> Even though maybe two they've been on rank. many campaigns together. How many? 14? I don't know. So many campaigns together. Something like that. A lot of them. Uh, yeah, he was just really good. Um, Stephen Root is mostly a completely different person in this from any character I've ever seen him do. So I guess he's also like a good actor. I mean, maybe he's got to act through that prosthetic mouth, you know, those prosthetic teeth that they always give Klingons. So he's doing his best. I've I've known for so long that that's him, and it is still kind of hard to detect it. Yeah, I always want him to be Nudak, but he's not. No, <laughs> if Nudak was just Jimmy James, that would have been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Picard says to the Japanese captain, good, I've been looking forward to sushi for some time. And the guy doesn't go, <laughs> you know, we don't eat we don't eat that every day here. Right. You know right. that, right? Like we eat whatever the galley prepares, it's usually not sushi. So anyway. No, well, he has to get his uh tell Jose he'll get his chilies. <laughs> Uh, Marjan totally nailed that this guy was a Zachdorn when she woke up from her nap, so the makeup is, um, it really is effective. Because she went, oh yeah, Stratagema. When she saw this <laughs> Quaalor 2 guy. I yep. had to say, that's not that guy, but it's the same species. You get it. Uh, I thought this was a conversation between a proconsul and a senator, but the one guy asked the other guy to distribute Picard's likeness among the security forces, so the Romulan Senate must be pretty wild. Yeah, it's a good point. They're doing and some that seems police like work. They got a, isn't there a page or something? Or Yeah, someone else must be able to. Why does Partic, a senator of nine decades, have to do this? Uh, that's it for my, my quick hitters. Yeah, I just have a few. Like you, I described this episode, so I didn't have that By many, the way, but, is, uh, is this the one that you watched uh, more than a year ago? This is definitely the one I watched a year ago. Okay. Since then, yeah, uh, all these shows have like gone off of Netflix. We have to watch them somewhere else now. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched this episode, wrote it up, and then you sent a text like, oh, my, my son was born. And I was like, oh, <laughs> guess we're on hiatus. If I'd waited two hours, I could have avoided this whole thing. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, rest in peace, Gene Roddenberry. He died right before this aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brackett looks young to be a fleet admiral. That was my problem. Well, we've seen fleet admirals before, but this is uh, this is a much younger woman than fleet admiral Shanty. She must have taken on those jobs Riker was turning down. <laughs> Could be. She was like, yeah, actually the... Uh... Oh, shit. What ship did he turn down? The Melbourne? Well, he did turn down the Melbourne. That one didn't live much longer. That one so didn't that, do too That's good, fine. Yeah. It was a good move by him, but he turned down the Ares before that. And uh... Right, yeah. Turns out the Ares had a lot of important missions, and she got some quick promotions. Mm-hmm. How fucking convenient that these Vulcan fragments found in a Ferengi vessel made their way to Picard's desk just at the right time. Did Field Admiral Brackett say, send that to Picard too, he's my Vulcan guy right now. <laughs> I've got him doing Vulcan stuff right now, and he seems like the guy to handle this little thing. Yeah, you guys remember, it's in the chart. Uh, anything Cardi or Vulcan goes to Picard. That's how it's working these days. Kavada knows about Spock's defection, so he can't possibly be fooled by this bluster out of Picard, can he? I've been looking forward to Gawk. Very fresh. <laughs> Very fresh? Yep. Yeah, that's what you're bound to get on a ship just out on the rim is some super yeah. fresh guy. Uh, and then I've always liked this combat vessel. Yeah, it looks like it's got some cool blades on it or something. Like if it ran into you, it'd cut you up. Yeah, it's probably just uh probably just a space icebreaker. Yeah. For the sp- like it looks cool, but it's probably just for pushing meteors or something. Or maybe it wants to push some of Daka Jean's shit around just to fuck with him. <laughs> Just push some ships out of orbit or whatever. I gave best actor to Sarek and worst actor to Pardex Paranoid Meemaw. <laughs> Very good. And yeah, I think that covers that. Nice. That's two. That is two. Um, first place last week was Deep Space Nine. Uh, I do want to remind you it was The Ascent. Yes. Uh, and... That was the lowest scoring first place ever. So it was a bad week. It was a bad episode, but I did yeah. listen to it pretty recently, and I laughed at myself saying that Odo said that you'll, you'll find Quark. His are the ones that look like troll bones. You did say that. <laughs> I think that was one of them that I missed during the recording, but then went, immediately when you said it, I, I mentally warped right to Skyrim. <laughs> All right, good. DS9, let's do it. Yeah, this week we watched... Rapture. Kira and Cisco are trying to get Dax excited about a, a painting of an obelisk. Yeah, I, I don't know why they're not succeeding. Cisco's, I guess, really excited he gets to check out this obelisk in person before it's returned to Bajor by the Cardis. Did I hear that right? Because then he just goes and makes it on the holodeck later, so I don't know what was happening. Um, yeah, he's he's fucking has intercepted this return of a 20... Well, I don't know how old the painting is, but it's a painting of a 20,000-year-old city. Okay. So the painting itself might be 20,000. It, anyway, it's an incredibly rare artifact, but he is going to hold on to it for just a minute before they send it to a museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because he thinks it's cool, and also because it holds the clues to a supposed lost city of Bahala. Yeah. Kira says there's a prophecy, big surprise, about somebody being touched by the prophets finding Bahala, and since 
He buys into his own hype big time these days. He's going into clock mode, and he's not coming back out until he's cracked the case. So he goes to the hollow suite to try to figure it out, like, right now. And he spends all day in there trying to look at a, some blurry old glyphs until Quark comes in and says, Play a porno instead! I charge more for pornos! You buy pornos now! You know Cisco's not paying him for this Hollow Sweet use. <laughs> no. He's probably threatening to uh, shut down the whole bar or something if Quark doesn't let him do it. Sure. Yeah, it's usually how he does it. Uh, Cisco tries to save the program, but even that is enough for one of these death consoles to lash out at Cisco and send him to the infirmary. Why do they always explode when you push regular buttons? This is Odo's question. <clears throat> yes, Odo arrests Quark. Probably so he can spend some time with him, would be my guess. I don't know. They they walked their relationship so far back last week on that mountain. <laughs> where Odo's dying message was taking many shots at Quark. Yeah. Tro- troll bones. You'll probably find him right up the right up the road. <laughs> yeah. He failed as usual. Anyway, negligence is the charge because the hollow suites are way behind on maintenance. Quark says he's been trying to get O'Brien to fix him, but you know the chief, lazy and incompetent, everyone always just says it out loud on DS9. <laughs> During dinner with Jaco, we find out Cassidy Yates is getting out of jail and coming back to the station. But Cisco's a bit distracted, doing a Close Encounters-style dinner sculpture. Yeah. Did you check the notes in Memory Alpha? Was this like a Close Encounters reference specifically uh, 100% inspired by the mashed potato scene in Close Encounters yeah thank you okay well they made they had it, him carving some melon they made it very obvious uh he goes back to the hollow suite to look at the dang old glyphs again when he gets more good news the Bajoran petition to join the federation you remember the, mm-hmm. what his job is here was accepted and I guess that's the end of the show so <laughs> we're down to two now every week <laughs> There's a lighthearted scene at Quark's where everybody's celebrating, but Cisco just can't pull himself away from this dang hollow suite. Uh, Kira finds him just, like, sitting on the ground, looking at that fucking thing again. But she can't rouse him. Cisco eventually does come to and tells her he was fucking there at Bahala doing Bajor and stuff. Let me enumerate, I guess. He saw Baxter Lynn playing the Clargo at the Boomfist Festival. (laughs) <laughs> and he could smell the Grola root stews and Forva incense in the air. And he even saw the Dastly Flies dancing at second dusk. But he also saw everything else, including yeah. the future, bro. He, he saw the time knife. <laughs> he did. He saw it all. So let's just keep in mind that he saw the future today. Just for in the future, let's remember he's seen the future. Oh, yeah, that's true. We will, we will have to mention things that he should have seen in the future. Uh, Kira pumps him up and says he had a sacred vision. Uh, Kai Wynn is coming aboard for the big to-do. Cassidy comes to the Hollow Suite to see Cisco. He gives her a big old kiss without, like, asking or saying hello. Hey, you been in jail for six months? Are we still dating? Remember when I put you in jail? I sent you to jail for six months. Are we still dating? Yeah. He asks her to go to Bajor with him to find the lost city of Valhalla. It's like he knows where it is. And they beam down to some caves, and Cisco is sure they're close, but also he's feeling bad and kind of sleepy. <laughs> he starts phasering rocks away, and sure enough, that dang old obelisk is just right there waving to him on the other side. Yep. 
Wynn comes to see Kira and is like, well, now that Cisco's proven he is indeed a powerful wizard, will he forgive me for opposing him in the past? Uh, this new admiral, whose dialogue makes it seem like he has been here and we know him, comes to yeah, see Cisco. Yeah, Admiral Watley. Yeah, we know That's him. That's Charlie. That's Charlie around here. <laughs> we know Charlie really well. He comes to see Cisco and tell him to get his mind right and come back to the station and be a Starfleet and stop being Bajor's chief wizard. And Cisco gets so shouty about how he needs to stay here and look at the obelisk more because of clarity. Yeah. Like, he already found the lost city, but who knows what else he might find, I guess. Could be anything down here. Frisbees and, yeah, like, uh, old dog bones. I don't know. <laughs> who knows what's down here? He found out, Matt, that the Bajorans 20,000 years ago made a kind of purple dye out of shellfish. And, <laughs> well, everyone says, oh, that's neat. That's real neat. <laughs> yeah. They don't he understand why he's something. hyperventilating about it. Right. Anyway, this dude says he's going to let Cisco hang out down there, but he just goes right to Bashir to see if they can mind wipe him or something. <laughs> Make him <laughs> hey, forget his dad, I've heard you maybe. do some procedures. <laughs> I've heard in this uh, circumstance it's common practice to make him forget about his dad. Can we can we do that? Uh, they both watch Cisco walk through the crowd like Jesus of the Cosmos, doling out fortunes to people, just like Jesus did. And then he tells the Admiral his son forgives him. And the Admiral resists saying, Well, I don't forgive Kevin. Fuck him and fuck you too. <laughs> Cisco wakes up from a big nap he took and says he foresees a, a cloud of locusts going to Cardassia. So I gotta keep an eye on that too. Anyway, Cisco's dying in a big way. The writing in this episode. <laughs> Bashir can fix him, but he'll probably stop having those visions. So Cisco refuses to be fixed because he, yeah. he needs the visions. It's important. Like, he almost knows who's going to win the next Emperor's Cup. And when he and Quark <laughs> place that wager, he's going to be set for life. He just needs more time. Uh, do you think this is the one that Janeway was at? Oh, maybe. I don't know. But nah, she... timing probably doesn't work. That would have been... Oh, yeah, no. We're already five seasons in. Janeway's in the... Yeah. Janeway's in the D-Quad. I think she's in... Uh, yeah, because that's season three when the when they yeah. start. Okay. Um... He tells Jaco that he's holding Baby Universe and he doesn't want to drop him. <laughs> and Cassidy overacts. And Wynn shows up to be Cisco's personal dream guide or whatever. This one's firmly off the rails now. Yeah. And then Jaco overacts. And Kira tells everyone the emissary can't die, so everybody chill out. And Worf agrees and says faith is victory or something. Cisco's trying to prophesy, but he he also begins to overact, and he gets all shivery in front of an orb. Cisco's still orbing it up proper when the big ceremony starts, you know, because the Bajor's going to be in the Federation now. And Wynn and this Admiral guy, they start without him, but Cisco lurches in halfway through and says, Bajor must stand alone or get just all the locusts. So many of them. And then he has a TV seizure. Yeah. He has to have surgery now or die. Kira says he would want to be fit. She says that to his family. <laughs> she does. <laughs> Bashir needs 
Cisco's relatives, his, his next of kin or whatever, to tell him what to do. So Jaco does his best to channel Jack Cisco from the Mirrorverse so he can muscle up a decision here. <laughs> then he tells Bashir to save his dad and adds fuck the prophets on the way out. Kira and Wynn lament the end of the visions and the end of the Bajoran petition for membership in the Federation. And Cisco wakes up and is all, We can't just leave her here! About baby, maybe baby universe is what he's talking about. Uh, the Admiral comes in and basically says, I'm too old for this shit. Probably transfers himself to the Aquiel station that afternoon. <laughs> and then they have a welcome back dinner for Cassidy, finally. And Jake and Cisco come to terms, and Cassidy's going to be Jake's new mom from now on. Yeah. And that's the end. <sighs> now, just reading that back, I don't know thing. if I mentioned any of the things that actually happened in the episode, but maybe you can tell me what you thought it was about. Yeah. Uh, well, Ben says balancing different priorities, say religion and versus career and family, is a tough challenge. Ben says it's kind of a plot episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find something, that's a three for him, I didn't find something worth even three points. I just <laughs> said, everyone's a hypocrite. Nice. Cisco definitely would not let a crew member with a brain injury pursue a weird obsession like this to the detriment of their Starfleet duties. And it's, he hasn't really swallowed his place as the emissary to this point but he sure gets carried away with this because it's him he's the special one <laughs> that's right his obsessions are special and not a mistake that's correct i not only do i not love it i don't know why we're supposed to feel good about it in any way so i just gave it a one okay uh well we're pretty far off because i had god's plan is anything you like whenever you like <laughs> And I gave that a six, because it's true. What? The, the prophets play and changes about 11 times in this episode, depending on who's speaking when in the episode. I don't know if the writers necessarily intended it, but it is kind of a perfect encapsulation of organized religion. I guess. Everyone's got 19 different prophecies they're working on at any given time, and all have totally different ideas about what God is going to allow, or the prophets are allowed to do, or what the emissaries are allowed to do, or what's going to happen next. And uh, it's just basically... Well, you know, uh, whatever they whatever they need in that circumstance is what God's plan is. Yeah. Um. So the cynical take one out. But you gave it a six. It's a six. Because it's because wow. it's, it's so true. Uh, flipping over to execution. Ben gave it a four. He said the artifact art lesson is kind of fun, but I already have an idea of how they're going to end up reading the other two sides of the spire. Of course, the reflection. Don't these fools know not to go chasing waterfalls? Okay. Um, he says the Kai just has an orb sitting in her quarters. I mean, she's the Kai. Yeah. Um, she gets to spend as much orb time as she wants, and it's all people that she knows that appear to her in there. We don't know who they are. Right. I mean, probably... Probably, uh... Ah, fuck. What's Kira's boyfriend's name? The actual pri no, the Prime Minister. Oh, um, Shakar. Yeah, Shakar probably shows up in him and stuff. Yeah, probably. Uh, let's see. For me, uh, once per year, Cisco becomes obsessed with something, so this plot fits right into the DS9 oeuvre. Yeah. Um, Cisco gets actual magic powers in this one, so I'd say that's a bad sign for where things are going in this show. 
<laughs> they give us some things to watch out for in future episodes. I don't think people were dissecting DS9 in the way they did, uh, I don't know, like Lost some years later and a hundred shows since then. Right. Um, this is basically the writer saying the show's not about Bajor anymore. Right? Isn't that what they're doing with this episode? Because, like, the I mean, whole I mission guess. was supposed to be to get Bajor into the Federation, and Cisco shits all over that in this one, so now it can just be about the Dominion, finally? But is it? Like, I guess that the swarm of locusts is pretty obviously coded as the Dominion. Mm-hmm. But still, no one on the show seems to think of that. No, I just no. Mean... When Cisco comes in and starts talking about the fucking locusts, you don't, uh, you don't cut over to Dex, uh, who turns to Brian and say, "He's talking about the Dominion." The Hadar. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, their ships look like bugs. <laughs> I mean, in real, I mean, in real life, they were like, right. After we do this, then we don't have to do any more dumb Bajor stuff. We can just right. Do we can put Bajor on the back burner here for a minute. Yeah. Uh, so many bad performances in this one. I don't think anyone gave a good performance. Uh, everyone overacts so hard, like this is going to be an important episode for some reason. Uh, in some ways, it's the least Little league episode in a long time. Like, everybody had multiple scenes, with the possible exception of the Chief. I think. He's in the scene... <clears throat> he is Dax's... Uh, he's on Dax's team in, in the, the Faith versus uh, Science scene. Yes. In Ops. I don't think he's in any other scenes, so... Um, I think he's the only one like that because even Quark shows up in a few of them. Quark's got uh, an odd number of scenes. He's got a the fun joke about the Klingon banner. Mm-hmm. He confronts uh, Cisco and t- tells him to do porn. He gets hauled in by Odo. Odo mm-hmm. really has only that one scene. So yeah, um, yeah. I gave it. I gave it a four. Um. So there's some truly terrible acting here from Cassidy and Jake crying to Cisco screaming they're gone about his visions. <laughs> it's also a wild choice given the way this show works not to have shown us any of Cisco's visions. Yeah. Even his orb encounter, which they always show. And I feel like that that is uh telling us in the language of TV that they are brain damage, that his visions are not real oh. and that they are brain damage because we don't even see his orb encounter. And but that we, Admiral it would be totally the 10th or 11th one when he says, seen. but the Admiral totally understands when he says that thing about Kevin. I don't think he says yeah. Kevin, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't remember that he as part of, that he was clearly pissed off about his son in a conversation he had with the Admiral. You know. If they are just brain damage, how bad is it to be that one guy who bumps into him and he goes, you have no more you business here. here. Go home or whatever. And the guy just turns around and leaves. Like, that guy, just, quits his, just quits his job. I mean, that guy had a promising career. as a Guy's building a pizza oven back home out of bricks and he's going, this is what the emissary I hope wanted. This was the right, I hope this was the right move. I trust the emissary. This is my path. He, you know, he hasn't called He hasn't called to check up, <laughs> see how I'm doing. Uh, I wonder if I should start following my Dejara again. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of attempts to do a cinematography in this one. Mm. Some odd angles. Uh, and that pushed it as high as a three for me. Okay. 
But otherwise, I thought this episode was uh, on the weak side. Not a great one, for sure. What about the uh, world building? Uh, ben gives as much as a three. Quotes the Klingon proverb, you cannot loosen a man's tongue with root beer. Um, and he also says the orbs seem very common. For me, um, well, first of all, this is the introduction of the first contact uniforms to Deep Space Nine. Oh. Oh, so, yeah. uh, this notice. week and from here on out, unless they film some out of order, we'll find out they all are wearing the, uh, gray on top uniforms. Man, it's because it's been a year. I didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> we definitely would have been more clear if we had done it, you know, yeah. the week your son was born. If we hadn't had that st- fucking baby, this baby universe yeah. that I got over here that I don't want to drop. A 20,000-year-old icon of a lost city means Bejor's real old for sure. Sure. Um, Plus, we get all of the membership scuffle. And plus, there's kind of an idea when the Admiral's mad at Sisko at the end that he can't get rid of him easily. Because he's the fucking emissary, so his hands are tied. He can't even fire him for this bullshit. Um... I am a four, and I could go as much as a five, probably, on world building. Oh, boy, I'm so glad you said that, because I have here, world building, five tasty points. A Bajoran Lost City, the mystery of Bahala. Pleasure mazes at the Hollow Suite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more references to the chief being the worst ops chief ever, and <laughs> continuity with the badly wired Hollow Suites that Rom has to hold together with spatulas. We talked about this recently. Mm-hmm. Cisco doesn't have the budget to hire an actual officer because <laughs> the chief is grandfathered and is a chief petty yes. officer and there's no one else qualified. Yes, he does not have the self-improvement credits that he needs right. to get this done. <laughs> I think you said to get a lieutenant, it would be uh, five, six hundred self-improvement credits a month the last time we talked about it. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Bajor's petition. <clears throat> to join the Federation was accepted, which was supposedly the main task Cisco had when this show began. Kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think anyone had talked about it in a while. And uh, by the end of the episode, it is clear why. Yeah. Um, sacred visions where you see everything ever, the past and the future and all that. Um, the rock that's left over after Cisco's phaser trick isn't even like hot. Like no, they of, never have to take any care stepping, but you know, into a small hole that they never make big enough. <laughs> that uh, surrounded by rock that has just cooled down from red hot. Yeah, they don't care at all. So it's probably still eight hundred degrees. Phasers are crazy, man. Um, the Cardis cracked down on Bajoran religion during the occupation, which makes sense. I don't, I just don't know how explicit they've been about it in the past. Teaching the uh, about the prophets got you imprisoned. Yeah. Uh, this admiral says they need to choose Bajorans to serve on the Federation Council, and the militia has to be reorganized under Starfleet, etc. So there are a few, only a few details about what it would, what kind of steps they'd have to take after Bajor joined the Federation. Um, does the prophecy of the Emissary say that the Emissary can't die? Why does Kira think <laughs> that? Because then later on she's like, he'd totally want to die. How come she didn't double down on her, uh, you know, earlier when I said he can't die? <laughs> like. Also, uh, the last time we were talking about the emissary, it's because that old emissary came back from the past and we were like, oh, we thought you were dead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
I don't know why she says that in that scene in Ops. Um, anyway, um, we don't have to worry about the Federation membership question anymore. It's weirdly a strong world-building episode tucked into this mystical nonsense. So I gave it a five. Yeah. And what about characterization? Uh, let's see. Ben has it as a five. Um, Cassidy Yates got off with six months in prison. Yeah, I think they say that in the episode where she was sentenced, which is just so Federation. Uh, but she's back. Kai wins back too. Both characters are so bipolar, whether they're good and bad, it makes watching more interesting. Um, he says that Jake's big reasoning is that Jake needs him, so he makes the right call for a weak reason. Yeah, he's not uh, he's not a strong boy yet. He's still a growing boy. Well, he's been through some stuff. He met the alternate universe version of his mom sure then they lost her i think that lady made him write a novel by making his nose bleed a lot yep 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 yep. he had a big fight with his uh, best friend nog last week Uh uh-huh yeah his dad got uh rubber banded through time because he didn't really have to experience that part no Um, that's one he didn't see let's see cisco going into clock slash solar sail slash scientist wife mode again Right, that was the other obsession he had was that that scientist's wife. Oh yeah, that was rough too. <laughs> uh, he'd rather have his visions than Jake. Man, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and then he pretends to forgive Jake at the end, but you could tell he does not <laughs> forgive Jake. Uh, Jake can cook now. Jake has to make the tough call about saving his dad at the cost of his likely insanity. Um, Cassidy Yates is out of jail and just moving right back in like nothing happened. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. Quark is so excited about this Federation Bajoran news. Like you said, there's that scene where he unfurls the wrong banner and all that stuff. Uh, Kira is still fake pregnant. Right. She's come to terms with Federation membership over the years. She first says Cisco can't die because he's the emissary, but then she's like, if he dies, he dies. So I don't know. <laughs> um, Kai Wynn has some sober misgivings about Federation membership, but how much of her fear of the Federation has to do with wanting to control Bajor on her own? Right. Uh, she seems shaken as hell, though, when Cisco finds that city. That uh, knocks her off her fucking rocker. Uh, Wynn was in a Cardi prison for five years. She thinks Jake is selfish. It's, you know, I did not remember from the year, years ago watching these kinds of episodes that Kai Wynn had an opinion about Jake Sisko. <laughs> no, you would have said they probably never met. Right? I would have said they never interacted in any way, but I Those was, guys I weren't, they didn't, they didn't shoot on the same days, Kai Wynn and Jake Sisko. <laughs> Turns out she did not like him. That's why I said here. Those two are always beefing, though. So that's that fits right in. <laughs> yeah, um, you can't you can't take their word for it. Does Odo know about keel hauling because he's an avid reader, or did Mora tell him about some similar thing in Bajoran history? Why does he know about that? That's a good point. And you bring up that Odo was actually in two scenes. That's right. That's the other scene. <laughs> uh, Worf is a religious zealot, as we find out in late era TNG. Um. I gave it as much as a four. What about you? Well, 
I had it scored as a four, could see a three, so it's going to stand as a four for me. Okay. We've seen Cisco get lost in shit before, as you rightly pointed out. Uh, clocks, solar sailors, etc. So his obsessiveness is in character. We had a few pretty good moments for Kira to reflect on how things have changed in four years, and we do get an introspective Kai win. So that's all pretty reasonable. Uh, on the other hand, the return of Cassidy Yates passes without any real discussion of what she's been through or how she feels now. Mm -hmm. And as you said, Worf no longer just prefers Klingon beliefs, but believes that faith is an inherent good in and of itself. And I don't love that. So Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. Agreed. So it was a four for me. Oh boy. Quick hitters. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Ben just has a couple. He says uh, Cassidy was good in the scene in her quarters, convincing him to let Julian operate. That Mm. is not my take (laughs) on the situation. Um, For me, uh, there's a weird Dutch angle up at Cisco when he's finished with his computer enhance routine. Looking at that uh, picture. His new uniform is so ill-fitting that he's got the com badge up in the gray spot. It like doesn't. He's got the captain's special jacket version of it with the. Oh, it's like extra what makes the whole, What makes the rest of the outfit look like overalls, <laughs> yes. like sleeveless overall. That's right. Uh, anyway, it doesn't fit at all. Matthew, who are Quark's pleasure mazes for? Is that he describes them as mazes, and there's always a, a treat at the center, a surprise. Is this for people who are a little shy about their fantasies, so they have to make them a reward for solving a puzzle? That's right. And then like, they tell I'm not people, just going to go in there and bang it out. I got to do an escape room first. And then they that way they can also tell people about it and be like, I, I only do it for the mazes, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I you know I wish he had some that weren't pornographic. Yeah, I um, asked him. He said he didn't, and he said he'd have to charge me so many. So many. Uh, uh, what strips. do I uh, do? I do I fuck him at the end? Um, why do you ask? <laughs> anyway, I do wish he had some regular ones, but you know, you yeah. know how it is. Uh, Cisco's got his new square neck vest, uh, overalls outfit. So Jake has to put on a square neck vest to be like his old man in that cooking scene. <laughs> that or he got you know a good deal on carpet remnants. <laughs> uh, it's not a good look. Quark had a welcome Klingons banner made, and then, after the Klingon war threat subsided, he kept it around. Yeah. You know, just in case. That's right. It's not a bad bit. It's just Star Trek's not great with jokes, so it never uh, then really I seems wrote, like it fits. No, exactly. Uh, then I wrote. I bet Ben mentioned this root beer root beer proverb, so he sure did. His notes definitely do talk about it. Nice. Uh, no matter how often they say what his vision is called, I'm not going to remember Potemfar. No, nope, that's nothing. They said it five times in that scene, and I absolutely, as soon as I close these notes, I will never remember what that is again. I didn't even write it down. I just wrote Sacred Vision over and over again. So Cisco doesn't like running his station. Obviously. He's very Janeway-like in that respect. <clears throat> but I think there is one part that he enjoys, and that is quarter shenanigans Mm. last week he used the specter of rent to force jake and nog to make up but and this this time we learned that he kept at one apartment on a mostly empty station open as a gesture for cassidy yeah so that's what he's into quarters yep 
Matthew, these locusts sound like bad news for Lacarian City. Don't I don't want to hear it. All right, I just you know you you can't keep a tough people like the Lacarians down. You know, <laughs> they just been through so much in their time, and I think they're really the they're just about to see the good times. The good oh, times sure are about so. to roll on Cardassia. I'm rooting for those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassidy berates Cisco, mm-hmm. saying, "Are these visions more important than watching your son grow up?" But Cisco's already seen his son grow up. <laughs> he grows up to be Tony Todd. That's right. And he has he's a big successful writer, and he's got a wife and everything. So, you know, I mean, she has a point. He, that means he's he knows had to what's going to happen. He's had to live with all the worst parts of Jake, and all the good parts are still to come. The parts where he's Tony <laughs> Todd. That is true. So in a way, she has a point. I gave best actor to Kira or maybe Kai Wen. Uh, worst actor to Admiral Watley. Sure. Did we know you, him. He's right. been around. <laughs> you know, Charlie. Yeah. Did you write down some quick ones? As usual, just uh, just one. Because I did the description. Uh, people are so evolved and forgiving in the future. Cassidy did a big betrayal. And made Cisco look like a fucking fool not that long ago. And he doesn't even give a shit. You think he'd at least be worried about how it looks for a station captain to date a smuggler XCOM, but no, he does not at all. He's just, I just don't care what anyone thinks of him. The Bajorans he, think he's the a goddamn emissary. The Starfleet guys. He does not friends with any of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's true. He is very much not a member of the old boys club. So he's friends with Dax, but that's just because she used to be a Klingon. It's just because you used to be that old man that everyone admits was the worst, but you just had to respect it. He, you know, he did a he did a lot of sexual harassment, but it was a different time. So, that's right. uh, yeah. So that's it. This is like I don't know one of the faster ones we've ever done. I think. Yeah, in and out under two hours. Um, we'll we'll get it back. I assume we will. <laughs> don't worry. Um, yeah, so, uh, third place this week, Voyager Gravity, 17 points, didn't really stand out in any area. I mean, you gave it six, and that's a bad score. Yeah, but we both had it last place, for sure. Yeah. Uh, second place this week, 29 points, TNG Unification 1, also not a strong episode, but did at least get some world building points, um, really suffered on premise. Yeah. So, the winner this week, and it is their... Hold on. It is their 35th win. Nice. Back within seven. Back within a touchdown. Back within seven. uh, Is Deep Space Nine with Rapture. Uh, 32 points, 10 in world building, and you gave it a 19, which is pretty good. Um, We had some differences. You were six ahead of me on Rapture. I was five ahead of you on Gravity this week. So Yeah, as you said, we'll get it back. Pretty soon, they'll all be getting five points. That's isn't that basically the rut we got into, or just all the episodes got bad scores? I think so. I, I mean, the week mind. before that was uh, the second worst week that there ever was. So. I don't know why I'm taking that on myself. I know who's to blame for all this. It's the fucking writers. Uh, yeah. Next time we get together to talk about Star Trek, we will be discussing Unification Two. Mm. We'll we'll finally find out whether Spock. Uh, is a big trader. Is a big trader, I guess. Yeah. 
uh, for Deep Space Nine, The Darkness and the Light. Okay, it's not nice. It's really not nice what they did. They, not only did they take the whole premise of Babylon 5, but they're just straight but, taking all these episode <laughs> titles and shit, too. It's exactly. so messed up. God. It's extremely rude. Jesus. Um, and I will get the pleasure of describing the Voyager episode, Bliss. Good. They enjoy that. I don't know what it is, but it sounds bad. Uh, but next week will be a mailbag week. We have plenty of stuff to cover, so if you don't figure out that we've started recording and releasing these again in time, don't worry about it. But otherwise, you know, stuff that mailbag. Yeah, yeah, I don't even think we'll have time. We might not have time to even get back into the flags, because, you know, we left that half finished, so. <laughs> That's um, another project I'm very excited about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, let's see if we can remember all this stuff. If you want to send us mail, that's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Um, I think we've recently been getting mail on that, so that's good. You know, messages, not mail. Uh, but if you do want to send us mail, that's brothers of brotherdate.com. You can go to brotherdate.com to see the Landrew. He's growing again. Yeah. He took a year off, and now he's back in the gym. And he's carb loading. And <laughs> he's about to get so fucking big. You get uh, the metaphor. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, we're putting more numbers into it. Um, and, uh, you know, on the uh, all the podcatchers, Pod Sanity and uh, Podverse Plus. Yeah. And... Uh, and all of them. And you can catch the, the these episodes on all those podcatchers. Uh, that's it. So, um, as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. As you believe. As you believe, so, so shall, shall you, you do. do. This is a whole freighter. A whole freighter. Yeah, and yeah. there's no porno on it. Yeah. On a freighter? No porno? <laughs> on the whole ship. I've looked everywhere. Subscribe